Welcome to the U-Turn Podcast. This is the place to connect to who you truly are. We're bringing PhDs, experts, and leaders to help you elevate your mindset in your work life and in your love life so that you can see things differently and truly love your world. I'm Ashley Stahl. I'm a career expert, author, and TEDx speechwriter and booker, and I'm excited to bring you in to this week's episode. going on my U-turn friends it's Ashley Stahl here as per usual and we have Melissa Orlov on the show she's the founder of adhdmarriage.com and she's the author of two award-winning books on how adult ADHD impacts couples so she teaches seminars runs support groups she provides consulting for couples all over the world you can find her at adhdmarriage.com And what I really want to talk to her about today is, you know, I guess you probably could have guessed it, is how does ADHD and just the existence of it and how prevalent is it, how is it impacting people's relationships? And if we can help you learn about that, how can you be better in your relationship? I also want to ask her a lot about bipolar because I feel like ADHD and bipolar get confused quite often. Um, I myself actually fell in love with somebody uh, a while back who was such a soulful friend of mine and he had ADHD, um, but ended up having also bipolar disorder and not knowing that and being undiagnosed. So, so much here. Hi, thank you so much for coming on. You are welcome. You are welcome. I'm delighted to be here. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, this topic, I actually don't know if I've ever seen a podcast. I mean, I'm sure you've done plenty of them, but I haven't seen this episode topic and I'm so glad to be providing it because I, I'm sure the ADHD is way more prevalent than all of us realize. Can you tell us a little bit about how often it's out there or any, any data or information? Well, so it is, uh, it is out there that officially, you know, full evaluative, uh, ADHD, Five to seven percent of the adult population, which is actually quite a lot. Uh, And then there's another portion of people who have some of the symptoms of ADHD, but not all of them. And um, some estimates for that go as high as 15 or 20 percent of the population. But um, uh, genuine ADHD, the the symptoms of it are uh, chronic distractibility, impulsivity, Uh, difficulty getting tasks initiated or completed, um, time management issues, and also emotional dysregulation. So for example, moves very quickly uh, to um, uh, high emotions, goes to from zero to 60 in no time flat, uh, those kinds of things. Um, And so you might be somebody who's easily distracted or somebody who is uh, hyperactive. I didn't mention that one because it's not with every case, but certainly some people are hyperactive and not have full-blown ADHD and yet still be able to use some of the uh, skills that we use. This was actually a question you just touched on for me is like, where's the line? It's, it's hard. I know that there's actual testing for ADHD and mm-hmm. is it, it's the case, right? It used to be ADD and ADHD, but now it's just ADHD. Correct. Yeah. So it's ADHD officially, according to the diagnostic manual, but with three subtypes, so one subtype is uh, primarily distractibility, one is primarily hyperactive, uh, and the other is a combined subtype. So it's officially called ADHD now. But the old ADD was the distractible version of uh, ADHD. Yeah. Okay. So as far as 
what you were sharing with ADD, ADHD now, how does somebody, what are some typical signs for someone, maybe it's in themselves or it's in their partner that you would want to help people kind of notice that maybe aren't, um, I don't know, maybe something that they're not noticing that they're doing that could be a real strong indicator to look into this. And what would even be the benefit of knowing? Because if you have it, you have it. I think a lot of people are going to say, well, if I have it, I have it. What do, you know, now what? Well, so, so actually for adults and uh, well, actually for kids as well, ADHD can be quite debilitating. And we don't think about that. If you don't have ADHD, you don't realize that people with ADHD are chronically distracted. They're chronically impulsive um, pretty much all the time. The research says, you know, says that um, people with ADHD, for example, um, say you know, 98% of people with ADHD say they are often distracted. Mm-hmm. Uh, or often have time management issues or whatever, very, very high numbers. And so it's not at all like having uh, just every once in a while being distracted. It's like, it's more of, wow, it's really hard to focus your attention uh, for any l- long period of time. So it shows up in a bunch of different ways. For example, people who promise to do something uh, a task of some sort, for example, and then don't actually get around to doing it some good proportion of the time. They can't remember to do it or they get distracted or they have difficulty planning it or it feels overwhelming. Um, That's one indicator. Uh, Another one, if you happen to have kids old enough to be uh, diagnosed with ADHD and they they tend to pick it up now in school, um, it's highly hereditary, um, as hereditary as hair color. Mm. And yeah, so um, so it's highly likely that if you have a kid with ADHD, it's quite possible that one of one or both of the parents has it. So that's an indicator. Um, And if you have somebody who is has time blindness, so a lot of time management issues, they're always late. Um, They rarely can get to things on time. They miss planes, you know, (laughs) those kinds of things. That's another indicator. Um, does it, it's not, you know, any one of those things doesn't mean you have ADHD, but if you have a whole bunch of them together, um, chances are pretty good you do. And then you would go get an evaluation with, um, a, like a psychologist or a psychiatrist or somebody who understands ADHD and they'll take a history and do a bunch of tests and stuff to see if you have it. Mm, okay. So I, I imagine a lot of people who maybe they have been diagnosed with this, they've gotten an official assessment they are faced with the decision of what do I do with it now that right. I, know I have this and this is interfering with my life or even my relationships because I'm sure time management, you know, it, it, it pains me because when I think about the workplace, I feel like it's largely in favor of extroverts. It's also largely in favor of people who can focus. And I, you know, I think about our history, like when we were cave people and it's like, we were not necessarily originally designed to be sitting in front of a computer in in an office or even at home for the amount of hours that we do. So I have a lot of compassion for people who are distracted just in general because it feels almost not human sometimes the way that right. our lives are all structured. Um, what would be your feedback for someone who's like, okay, this is definitely me. Maybe they're listening right now and they're like, wait a minute, people always make jokes because I feel like society makes <laughs> jokes about these things, you know, like... Well, I I think a lot of people do make jokes about it. And actually, if you have ADHD, it can be really, really painful uh, psychologically to have people make those jokes. Um, And uh, yeah, no, I weren't. Luckily, we weren't designed to sit in front of computers, but I agree with you completely. 
that our society is really biased towards people who are really efficient in getting from point A to point B, people yeah. who are really good information synthesizers and don't get overwhelmed by lots and lots of information and who can organize it easily and et cetera. So yeah, I mean, there's a, there are some real benefits actually to getting an evaluation and to understanding that you have ADHD. Because even if you don't know you have it, you, if you have it, you have those symptoms. And the symptoms show up in ways that can be really quite tragic. I'll give you one from the romance arena. Yeah, um, People who are really distracted. Well, I should back up a little bit. If you, when you first start out in a relationship, the infatuation stage includes biologically includes a whole lot of extra dopamine wow. and ADHD is actually about low levels of dopamine. So it tends that that infatuation dopamine tends to cover up, um, the, the ADHD for a while. But when you get to the point where that wears off, which is a couple of years into your relationship, um, then the ADHD shows up for the first time in the relationship. And it's quite a shock. And so what'll happen is that the highly distracted person with ADHD does not pay as much attention to their partner as they were when they had more dopamine or as the partner expects. Mm. And pretty soon the partner thinks, huh, I must've done something wrong or wow, my partner doesn't love me anymore because they're not paying attention to me. Wow. Which is misinterpretation of that symptom. The symptom is distractibility so what's going on is the partner loves you a lot, but they're so distracted that you're not understanding it and it can really hurt the relationship. And if you don't know the ADHD is there, then you end up in this situation where, where there's all this misunderstanding going on. Whereas mm -hmm. if you do know that the ADHD is there, then you can just say, Hey, you know, you seem pretty distracted this week. Let's go out for a date and reconnect and, and you fix things up. But, you know, if you don't know it's there, you start to to uh, be angry about being ignored, going after your partner and saying, why don't you pay more attention to me or whatever? And that's problematic. So one of the benefits, one of the great benefits of having ADHD and knowing you have it is being able to correctly interpret the behaviors that come from the ADHD. You know, losing your car keys doesn't mean you're stupid. Mm -hmm. Lost track of your car keys, not doing well on a test might, you know, just be about ADHD and not being able to synthesize the information fast enough or whatever it is. Um, and knowing you have ADHD then also opens up a whole world of ways to manage it so it doesn't get in your way. Right. Okay. So I have so many questions about ADHD and relationships um, and so many questions just about I don't know, like that dynamic where this is, it, it's almost like when somebody has something that it doesn't identify them, but it's, it's, it's a presence in the relationship, right? So it's you, your partner, you know, whatever you bring into the table and their ADHD too, or it's your ADHD, whatever. So it's this third entity that needs attention, that needs awareness, that needs navigation. Um, I know a lot of partners who don't have it probably just want it to go away. And I say that compa with compassion, but trying to be as real with everybody listening as possible. Because I imagine nobody wants to feel like your partner is not paying attention to you, even if it's a symptom of something. Right. So um, I, I would guess that a lot of partners that don't have it are thinking, well, how can we, and I, I hate to say it this brutally, how can we get rid of this so that the person can pay attention to me and <laughs> make my needs be met? Right. Yeah. Um, 
And and the other person who has it is probably like, well, shit, I don't want to miss my flight. I don't want to lose my keys. Like they're suffering too. So what are some kind of low hanging fruit starts? Because I know we have two different types of people listening on the phone here. Um, I'm somewhere in between. There's more of like the Western approach, the Eastern approach. Obviously, every case needs to be evaluated. Um, but what are some considerations for someone who maybe they're like, let's just fix this and get you medication. And then there's ups and downs around the medication side. Let's just fix this and go the holistic route. And then the other person doesn't want to feel like they're being fixed with anything. And then they feel like something's wrong. So there's a whole spiral that I'm sure could exist here. Um, where do people begin if they're listening on this podcast today and they're like, this is happening in my relationship and I want to tell my partner they need to get an evaluation with a psychologist for ADHD and we need to start this process. Right. Or else just I need an evaluation. My friend, are you ready to stay hydrated this summer? I have something for you. Grapefruit salt from Element. It's L-M-N-T. Because healthy hydration isn't just about drinking water. It's about water and electrolytes. It makes sense. You lose both water and sodium when you sweat, and both of those need to be replaced to prevent muscle cramps, headaches, energy dips throughout the day. But most people only replace the water. So why is that? Well, since the 1940s, we've been told to drink eight glasses of water per day, thirsty or not. But drinking beyond your thirst is a bad idea. It actually dilutes your blood electrolyte levels, especially sodium, which leads to headaches, low energy, cramps, confusion, or worse. So this low sodium situation called hyponatremia is super common among endurance athletes. And the solution is not to stop drinking water either. It's to drink water with electrolytes. That is where LMNT, my favorite brand for electrolytes, has you covered. So former research biochemist Rob Wolf and Keto Gains co-founder Louis Villasenor formulated Element to provide the optimal ratios of sodium, potassium, and magnesium for health, performance, and energy. They also formulated Element to please your palate. It tastes so good. Try orange salt, citrus salt, watermelon salt, or you can experiment with five other flavors like this summer's grapefruit. I even like to put Element's chocolate flavor into my coffee in the morning sometimes. So Element just gave us a really fun offer. All you have to go do is head on over to drinkelement.com slash Ashley Stahl. That's D-R-I-N-K. L-M-N-T dot com slash A-S-H-L-E-Y S-T-A-H-L to receive a free sample pack of every flavor with your first purchase. My personal favorite is the watermelon and the lime. Again, that's drinkelement.com slash Ashley Stahl. Your salty little summer starts now. Well, I think if you, you know, if you don't have it and you go to your partner, you have to be really careful because um, people who have ADHD that's been undiagnosed, and even if it's been diagnosed when they're growing up as kids, they get a ton of criticism from other people. Why did you do it that way? Why didn't you do it this way? What's wrong with you? How come it's not finished? What, you know, yada, yada, uh, like a lot. And so they tend to be pretty defensive when somebody comes to them and says, Hey, you know, I love you a lot, but it, I wonder if you might want to get diagnosed or evaluated for ADHD. That conversation is a tough one. Mm-hmm. And so you need to be gentle and you need to be supportive. 
Um, and also, I think it's really important to make sure that the person understands, A, you don't think they're broken, uh, that ADHD is really a very different way of being in the world. And it's right. very it's very helpful, for example, in some situations like wanting to be a big thinker entrepreneur or, or you know, emergency responder or something like that. Um, so, so there is, so that's the first part of that, but then the next part is what do you do about it? Um, and uh, there are a million different ways to approach ADHD. Um, the one that's, that is, um, in some ways easiest is the medications. If the medications work for you, if they work well for you, it's a miraculous change because ADHD actually is neurochemical. It's chemical in the brain. So if you can adjust the chemistry of the brain, um, you can often address um, some or all of the symptoms, um, and particularly in the area of emotional control, which is a huge issue in relationships. If you have a person who's very volatile, it changes the whole tenor of the relationship. If you don't know when your partner is going to blow up at you, then uh, you start walking on eggshells. You start self-editing. You stop getting what you need out of the relationship. Um, and, uh, and, and the partner, you know, you sort of distance yourselves. So, um, that also can be addressed with medication, but also with other things. The symptoms of ADHD are greatly impacted by sleep and whether you have consistent sleep and a lot of people with ADHD don't, right. but when you're sleep deprived, your ADHD is much worse. Um, and exercise also is a really good way, um, to manage both emotional um, stability and also, um, focus. Yeah. So also a good thing. Um, so those are the big three, the medications, exercise and sleep, um, but, and, and mindfulness as well, but there are tons of behavioral strategies is what they call them, where you get a really good calendaring system, a really good reminder system. So you're less likely to be late. Um, a good planning system um, that, you know, you use yourself, you, you hang a hook by the door for your car keys. You, you know, you do all sorts of stuff to keep your life um, sort of externally organized rather than inside your head internally organized. Um, so the, the person that I fell in love with was a creative genius and his ADHD was such a tool for that. He, um, owned a gallery in New York city and was one of the most brilliant, inspiring people I've ever met. Um, and he was deeply suffering and I had no idea that ADHD could do this. Like he couldn't sleep. Um, then he would take, um, what, what is it? What are the drugs that are the most primary ones. There's Ritalin and what's the other one? Adderall. Well, they're Adderall or yeah, Adderall is a stimulant. The stimulant medications, there are quite a number of them. Yeah. And that um, would help him focus and be present. Um, but then he would have appetite issues and then he wouldn't be able to sleep if he took it too late. And it was just this like spiral for him. And he would talk often about working out to-do lists, all of these things that would help him. But I could see how much he was suffering and how much he wanted to show up for me and be there for me. So although we didn't end up choosing each other as partners and we decided to be friends, um, I really got an inside look at the suffering and the, the magic, you know, like this guy was a magician. Yeah. Like, I mean, some of the things he was like, I've never seen before his level of intelligence. He would write poems and both sides of the brain were just firing off. So um, how does somebody, uh, a, you know, 
get started with that conversation. You said it's going to be a really tough conversation. You don't want to be in blame or shame. Um, How do you open that door? Because I imagine, you know, if Sally, you know, is listening right now, she's thinking, well, what am I going to do? Just bring this up after dinner. You know, I don't want to (laughs) blindside him. I mean, or they, you know, so can you help me with, um, how do we, yeah. You you can tell them a lot by doing it in a time, a calm time of love and caring. Um, certainly not in an angry time, um, or right after you've had a fight or something like that. Also, because you're talking to somebody who has issues with attention, you need to make sure you actually have their attention. And, and because, and, and that they're in a non-volatile state also. So sometimes it helps to, um, maybe you have, I don't know what your rituals might be for, you know, maybe it's coffee in the morning or a a drink after dinner or something, whatever, some kind of connecting thing where you're focused on each other. And then it's, it's a, I've heard about this. It reminds me of you somewhat. I'm wondering if you might like to explore it a little bit. Um, kind of a thing rather than uh, you never do this or do that. So I've diagnosed you and think you have X. Yeah. Curiosity. <laughs> diagnosis. Go further. Yeah. yeah. You're not in the diagnosis business among other things. I mean, I've been working with ADHD since 2007. I don't diagnose, you know, right. I leave that for the medical experts. Um, so, so that's sort of the way you approach it. Um, I have, as you had mentioned, I have a couple of books, one of which describes patterns in relationships as part of the book. That's the first one, the ADHD effect on marriage. And, and some number of people, particularly people who are in their sort of forties and fifties will say they, you know, they pull out a couple patterns that look like their relationship and they'll say to their partner, Hey, listen to this and read a paragraph or two as just sort of a idea starter. And that's another way um, that uh, uh, quite a few people have said they've been successful because the patterns are very predictable. And, um, and so, you know, people see themselves in them essentially. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's, you know, say they open the conversation, the person gets an evaluation, they have it, they're deciding what route they want to do it. Is it about just getting better sleep and working out? Is it at a point where medication feels like the right option? They're exploring all of this. Meanwhile, there's the partner who doesn't have it. And I know that one phenomenon that it can really happen is over-managing, like um, over-functioning. I think that a lot of people in relationships, there's a lot of us who, especially with anxious attachment, where, um, you know, and by you guys have, you know, all of you listening have probably heard me talk about attachment styles. And if you haven't, um, there's an episode with Nora DeKaiser on attachment styles, uh, as well as Sylvie Kukasian. But uh, anxious attachment being very preoccupied with love, that would potentially lead to overfunctioning, where the person's constantly trying to do all this stuff to help their partner out without even realize how much they're burning themselves out, trying to keep their relationship together. Maybe it's 90%. They feel like they're putting all this energy into the connection because the other person is very much um, dealing with what's on deck. They're navigating this, this new reality that they're facing. Um, yeah. What would you have to say around the overmanaging, the overfunctioning, the compensating? Um, yeah. Would love to. Well, when you've got somebody who doesn't have ADHD paired with somebody who does have ADHD, that pattern is almost universal. Yeah. If you don't know, if you don't know the ADHD is there. 
If you do know the ADHD is there, one of the benefits is that you can consciously try not to do that. Because not only is it trying to help the partner sort of find themselves, it's also trying to get stuff done around your home if you live together. And if you have somebody who's highly disorganized, uh, who doesn't tend to see a mess and who um, uh, doesn't complete tasks, the other partner will start to overfunction just to get stuff done. Mm -hmm. uh, as well as help their partner out. And that's a killer of a relationship. I mean, I call that uh, parent-child dynamics where one, the over overfunctioner acts like a parent, not a very good version of a parent in my mind. And the other person acts like, uh, it ends up underfunctioning because um, they are underfunctioning if they're not holding their own, holding their weight up because of the ADHD. Um, and, uh, and so it's really, it's unsexy. People don't like being in those, either of those positions. I mean, it's all horrible mm -hmm. uh, to be in a relationship. Mm, I even just think about sleep and like one person probably is struggling to sleep and then the other person's struggling because they're struggling to sleep. It's like very much like a painful um, dynamic. So let's say someone listening now and they kind of know in their intuition, they're like, all right, I'll get an assessment, but I have this and I haven't faced it. Um, what are some things that they can get started doing? You talked about exercise. You talked about sleep. The sleep thing sounded like the chicken or the egg, by the way. It sounded like <laughs> they need sleep to do well, but they can't sleep. They can't. It, it was like, okay, what do we do? So are, is there any sleep things well, that you recommend? There's a ton of research on how to sleep better. Um, it's hard. People with ADHD have sleep issues. They have a different circadian rhythm typically, um, than, uh, than their partners, uh, often, and they're often night owls is what that means. And they have trouble getting out of bed in the morning and then they go, they have to, because they have to go to work unless they found a job where they don't start until 10 or something, which sometimes they do, or they work for themselves or whatever. Um, but there are a lot of things that if you Google, anything about how to get better sleep, you'll see, you know, no blue light, no drinking after a certain hour, eat your meal before a certain hour, set up a routine, uh, that your that tells your body that it's time to go to sleep, turn down your lights, consider taking, uh, or wearing eye shades or something because the eye, the light is a big indicator for your body about whether to stay awake. Um, it'll tell you about deep breathing exercises where you breathe in slowly and then you breathe out slowly. And those, those kinds of things change how your body is. It changes it from being in an alert state to being in a restful state. So doing these disciplined uh, ways to approach sleep and knowing that you don't just say, okay, I've been going to bed at two and now I want to go to bed at eight. You, the most you can move your sleep up is about five minutes a day earlier and earlier. So it's a longer process where you go earlier and earlier and earlier and you set up these routines. Um, and, um, and so it's, it's not easy to your point. There is a chicken and an egg thing going on. Uh, but on the other hand, it's ex exceptionally helpful. The other thing for people with ADHD is it has a relatively high overlap with sleep apnea. I mean, some of these things are actually sleep disorders that are causing the sleep problems. Um, and it's not just sleep apnea. There are other things like how much of each type of sleep you get and th that can be modulated and whatever. So uh, if you try the standard things like going to bed at a certain hour or whatever, and they don't work, or if your partner says, hey, it sounds like you're gasping in your sleep or you're not breathing for a while or whatever, you should go for a sleep study because 
that makes a huge difference. I mean, I, I know a young woman who, uh, who uses a CPAP machine. When she doesn't use it, she's really groggy the next day. And when mm. she does use it, she's fine. Mm. You know, it's, it's that big a difference. Yeah. It's like, gosh, I think about science and I'm like, how did everybody go without all this stuff? Like my dog, he can't even walk without his allergy medication because he licks his paws and he's hobbling around. I just think about all of these different um, interventions and resources. Is there anything over the counter that you find kind of like you've heard as useful? For example, um, like melatonin. Do you have any thoughts on that kind of stuff? Because I know some people get like a melly, melly belly, like melly hangover. Um, I don't know if that's a thing. I think I just made that up. But um, and then, you know, um, there's also CBD. There's so many different resources um, that people are using. So I'm curious if any of that helps uh, in your yeah. opinion. Um, it can. So the, I mean, you know, try the melatonin and see. Um, and, and the CBD, um, Ned Hallowell, Dr. Hallowell, who's one of the top ADHD folks does suggest for people sometimes to have, um, pharmaceutical grade CBD at night as a way to relax and fall asleep. However, he also says only them, <laughs> um, because one of the things that does go along with ADHD is a high level of, um, addictive behaviors. Um, and uh, there are high substance abuse rates with ADHD. One of the things that, uh, one of the ways you can describe ADHD, and again, this has to do with um, neurochemistry, is that it's actually a reward-focused brain. So part of the distractibility isn't just the inability to hold your attention, but also the things that are coming at you from elsewhere feel more rewarding. And mm -hmm. again, this has to do with dopamine, which is part of the reward system. I mean, that's not the only neurochemical involved, but, uh, and so your body is seeking dopamine. If you have ADHD, your brain is seeking dopamine. Again, it's another reason people who have ADHD actually, who have some addiction tendencies can often be helped by taking uh, a medication that increases their dopamine, which is crazy, you know, but anyway, that's the way that works. So, um, so you have to be, um, careful about how you do these things, um, and, and, and just make sure that you're not, for example, fair number of people smoke marijuana because it calms their brain. Um, but there are enough addiction issues with ADHD that that often turns out poorly. Mm. It inhibits their ability to hold on to a job or, or something else. Um, and, and also if you're in a relationship where high levels of distractibility are in, in making it so that you and your partner don't engage with each other very much. Marijuana is not a great tool because it's not something that engages you in a meaningful way with other people. Mm. Um, so there are things like that. You have to be thoughtful about how you're approaching ADHD. Unfortunately, there are not a lot of diet or, you know, supplements or things like that. Those are not typically the things that are useful. Um, it's typically medication, sleep, exercise, mindfulness training, some fish oil, um, for people. Um, also there's, uh, um, interestingly, um, a higher than normal correlation with celiac undiagnosed mm. celiac. So for some people, about 15% of people with ADHD have celiac, which is much higher than the general population of 1%, mm. uh, the general population. And so if you have that and you don't, um, and you stop eating gluten, um, that makes a huge difference in terms of how your, your body and brain function.
Mm, beautiful. Okay. And I also was looking at your book. You have your forward by um, the person that you said was the expert. What was his name? Yeah. Ned Hallowell. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay. So what have I not asked you about adult ADHD and how it can affect relationships that you would want people to know? I know you touched on patterns like nagging or like lack of desire. I imagine that that affects a couple's sex life. Like what are some um, things that I should be asking you that maybe I haven't thought of around those sorts of things? Well, I mean, one of the things that's really important for people to know is that um, ADHD um, you know, it, it can really, it, it's, it makes a whole lot of sense to know you have ADHD and to start to work to manage it and taking medications. You might decide you, that they really work for you, which is great. You might decide they don't trying out medications does not commit you to a lifetime of taking medications. It's just getting information about what it does, you know, or doesn't do for you. Um, and the medications are all over the board. So you often have to try multiple ones and that's all great. Um, having ADHD does not mean that your life is going to be horrible or not interesting or that you're going to be a failure or anything else. Uh, doesn't mean you're a hyperactive boy, <laughs> none of that stuff. Um, but knowing about it does help you, um, uh, get more out that you want out of your life. Um, and so it's really worth it to go get that evaluation and, and start to learn more about it um, for both of you and your partner. It helps mm -hmm. make your partner more compassionate towards you. I've seen a lot of people who are very, really struggling, close to divorce, been married many years, often with children, et cetera, um, who uh, have turned their relationships around once they understood that ADHD was in it. It's that big a, a game changer for people. Um, and, you know, it's and it's. It's about the person with the ADHD saying, here's how I want to live, right. which I want to be. And sometimes that includes everything the ADHD brings. And sometimes it means, hey, I really love the creative side. <laughs> I really love these parts of it, but I, I would rather get a job done if I say I'm going to get it done. And so I'm going to put those strategies in place. Okay. So I, I know that there's some kind of co-occurrence or likelihood of other things that are happening. I saw this in one of your books. Um, you said around 16 to 31% may, may be depressed and their lifetime likelihood is 53%. Um, anxiety, 24 to 43% of those with ADHD may also suffer from anxiety. Oppositional defiant disorder, um, so, I mean, oh, you know, there's just so many different things. I'm seeing dyslexia. Um, and then you already had touched on substance abuse, which I, I can only imagine if sleep isn't good for your ADHD, what alcohol or all of these, you know, substances might do. Um, if somebody does take the medical route and they're experimenting, do you know anything about the likelihood that it's going to resurface or that they kind of become immune to the drugs? Like, is there any information around that for people who are thinking about getting started with trying things? I know you said you're not a doctor, but I'm curious just <laughs> if you have an opinion based on all the people that you've helped. Yeah, I'm not a doctor and I don't even play one on TV, as the old quote went. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, so some people... Uh, do find that over time they, that they don't feel as if the medication is working as well for them. Sometimes that's because they get used to the new normal. Um, and so they're not so tuned in with how hard it used to be. And sometimes it is that the medication isn't working as well. 
Um, Hallowell and a number of other top doctors suggest you take a medication vacation, if that's the sense. Do it at a time like when you're actually on vacation or at least tell your partner about it. Um, otherwise, people are going to be going, wow, what happened? Uh, but uh, a week or two uh, usually resets that. Um, but sometimes people will go on and go and try a different medication for whatever reason. I mean, even um, if you, for example, start uh, competing in a sport where you're exercising a lot and, and medication is wearing off more quickly, um, then um, you might have to adjust uh, your medication or take a, a second dose, a small dose in the afternoon or something to extend it further into the day or whatever. Um so, yeah, the medications, um, I mean, you just have to sort of stay in touch with what they are or are not doing for you. Mm -hmm. And you can take more than one medication. So, for example, stimulants are typically very good for focus and antidepressants are typically good for um, uh, emotional regulation and, and coexisting depression, things like that. So sometimes you're in, on multiple medications. Yeah, I about as far as I go as a non-doctor. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that you're sharing this because like I like to consider myself a pretty holistic person, but I'm not afraid of Western medicine. And I think everybody has their own take on it. Um, but I love that you just really highlighted that this is, you know, if it's as a diagnosis, it's something going on in your brain and the gift that medicine can give you, if that is the direction that you need to take is so powerful I saw in your book, in, in addition to talking about different things that coexist sometimes with ADHD, mm -hmm. there's misdiagnosis. So, you know, you talked about sleep deprivation, sleep apnea. Um, and I had mentioned bipolar. I know that's not your expertise, but I wanted to just name it for people who are listening because I know bipolar is characterized additionally as a mood disorder. So um, there people are going to have... Um, you know, maybe longer periods of sleep deprivation, manic behavior. Um, I'm imagining that you've come across some couples where you started with ADHD and you ended with ADHD and bipolar, maybe not. Um, can you just help anyone listening understand, like, could you put a pin in like, this is not usually happening with ADHD. So if you're having some of the things I shared and this, <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe consider this direction. Well, one of the things that doesn't typically hand, uh, go with ADHD is mania. Yeah. And mania is really about, you know, just really like you go on a huge shopping spree and you're totally like everything is amazing and great. And, you know, you're just like completely out of control on the positive side of things or uh, an episodic, really deep depression um, also wouldn't typically, if you go with ADHD, if you have depression and you're, and you have ADHD, it's sort of a longer term steady burn. It's not an episodic deep dive. Um, and, uh, but, uh, you know, you do one of the issues, one of the reasons you want to go in for a really good evaluation and not just like, yeah, I think I have ADHD here, take some stimulants, um, is, um, because ADHD and bipolar do resemble each other. And if you take ADHD medications, and in fact, you actually have bipolar, um, you can send yourself into a bipolar episode with those medications. So there, it's actually important to know that you don't have bipolar. Um, if you think you have, if there's a family history, or if you think that, you know, you might have it again, you can go online and you can look, you know, what's the difference between ADHD and bipolar, and you can get uh, lists of symptoms in each one and become a little bit more in, um, informed. 
uh, before you go talk to somebody about about what whether or not you have an issue. Mm, okay, I'm so glad I asked you about that because I feel like that distinction is so huge that some people might just think like this is what I have. I'm going to go get assessed, but understanding like it can be so damaging to take drugs for one thing that causes problems with the other. Yeah. Um, so really, really helpful. You also talk, you know, we we're talking about the neurotransmitters in the brain, dopamine, norepinephrine, um, that you can inherit it. You said that's quite likely just like the color of your hair. You also talked about, um, in, in some of your books, brain trauma, and you didn't dive too deep into this, but I thought it was really interesting just to bring this up for people who maybe are self-identifying or identifying their partner and kind of making sense of this right now. Cause I do hear from listeners who are like, Hey, listen to that, realize this. Um, and I love that this podcast gets to be helpful for that. So what, what, what do you mean when you say brain trauma could cause ADHD? Is it like you fell and hit your head? Is it an emotional incident? Like, can we just unpack a little bit about what that might be? Yeah. Again, I'm not the diagnoser person. Yes. Um, so brain trauma isn't something that typically comes into my practice, which is uh, around with couples um, around their issues as couples. Um, but a lot, some of the brain trauma is actually at birth, uh, and so um, starts very early. And uh, and and sometimes it's also like concussions in football and things like that, where right. there's a, a tail to that where things are not quite, um, you know, you never really fully recover. Um, so that's, that's really what I'm talking about. It's a very small percentage of the people who have ADHD. It is largely genetic. Okay. That makes sense. I'm trying to remember the name of a, um, organization that was recommended to me for the partner that I had at the time. And it was a, uh, there's something around neurofeedback and, and their an ability, and this is, seems to be new science and ability to look at the person's brain on an image and see if there's an area that is indicating a brain trauma. Um, and I'm even hearing, and this is, um, incredibly innovative, um, out of Harvard, one of Harvard's labs, um, Dr. David Sinclair is working on this in his lab. Um, there is some sort of switch that can be flipped with some sort of neurological testing, um, and work that they do. So I know I'm butchering this cause I'm even less of an expert <laughs> than you, Wait, well, but, you're probably talking about neuroimaging, yes, neurofeedback. Um, I think I I think that it's actually a little bit of both, and I can look okay. right now um, and see if I can find it. Yes, the place was called myneurofeedback.com. So I don't really know, um, but it seemed to be more of a holistic brain therapy sort of a thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, neurofeedback is, is about, um, among other things, as you are, it's, it's pretty good for anxiety and some stuff as I understand it. And again, I'm not at the cutting edge of research, so there may be new things coming out, but the research that I've read about it, um, is that it's, it can be good for anxiety in particular, which often goes hand in hand with ADHD. So if you had neurofeedback, for example, it would help with ADHD, uh, with the, with the anxiety part of ADHD. Um, uh, and they put electrodes and stuff on your head. And then, um, as you're going through certain things, you get feedback from those electrodes about what's going on. So the imaging would give you the pictures, uh, and maybe neurofeedback also gives you a, gives a clinician a sort of picture, but my understanding is it's not visual, but again, they might be doing something different there. Um, yeah. I, what I know about. 
Well, you know, I try to throw the resources out there despite being uh, completely naive and green about this topic. Well, um, outside of my own expertise either, yeah. but I run into it a little bit because there's a big conversation about whether neurofeedback yeah. is a good way to treat ADHD right. or to manage ADHD. And generally it's kind of mixed. Actually, right. the research on it is mixed. Um, so if you are at a place that's named myneurofeedback.com, my chance, the chances are pretty good. It's going to be real pro neurofeedback. Right. Uh, Rather than looking at the broader uh, and doing your research. Exactly. I think that um, people doing their research, but knowing the different opportunities that are out there, opening up the conversation and picking what feels right for them. It it feels so good that we can have this conversation and just point them into many different directions so that they can be sovereign and choose. But um, okay, so I guess as we're closing and, you know, everybody is going to want to follow you, learn from you, where is the best place for everybody to really get a sense of your work um, and where can they get started? Before I go to answer that question, I want to go back to one previous question that you yeah. had. Is what else do people need to know? And yes. where I headed and then I got distracted, ah. um, which happens sometimes, uh, was uh, is that um, it can that people with ADHD can be really terrific in a relationship. It does not mean that the relationship is uh, is going to struggle necessarily, though a lot of them do. But um, but the trick is to be engaged with it to yeah. be engaged with your partner and with the ADHD. Okay. Now <laughs> where to go. Um, so I have a website, uh, ADHDmarriage.com. Uh, you don't have to be married, uh, to go and, and look at the resources. And I think also a really good place to start, particularly if you're, uh, you know, relatively new in your relationship, like first five years or something like that, um, is actually potentially with, uh, my first book, um, the ADHD effect on marriage. Again, you don't have to be married. Um, I was just trying to call out people who had that commitment um, and when I was writing it. Um, but I also answer questions. You can contact me through my website. I don't get back to people immediately often, but I do try to get back to everybody eventually. Um, so I, you can ask questions and um, et cetera. There are a lot of resources there as well. So that's a, a good resource. Thank you so much for uh, being here. This has made me officially want to do an episode on Ritalin, Adderall, um, <laughs> bring a researcher on, talk about the plus and So everybody stay tuned. I'm going in a rabbit hole. I'm going into the bipolar episode. We're going in. Um, thank you so much again for being here. Well, I was delighted to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into the U-Turn podcast. And thank you again so much for our sponsors. We are here because of you and to our listeners. Thank you for checking out our sponsors. We always pick people and brands that we trust and we believe in. And just for listening to the show, writing your reviews on the Apple app, and just being willing to make your own U-Turns. We'll see you next week. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss. 
Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's going to push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the Podcast Princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam, on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.